Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Lifelong Learner with Matt and Janesh. Welcome back everyone to another episode of Lifelong Learner. This afternoon I'm joined by Richard Lee. Afternoon. And um, Richard Richard and I met a year ago, two year and a half ago. A year and a half. Yeah. Um, through a uh, a mutual business club uh, that we're part of and uh, we're fortunate to be joined by Richard today. Richard uh, Richard's got a long, long rap sheet and I was uh, trying to summarise and go where do I and do my research on guests and go where how do I how do I put this in a synopsis? Um, and so I'm gonna give it a shot and then you can fill in the blanks as we go. And so by by training, by training, um, Richard's a, a lawyer and a banker of 17 years. Um, but that's probably like that's probably the last thing that comes up in conversations, usually. Um, I didn't know uh, I knew you were a banker, I didn't know you were a lawyer until I actually I read your thing. Um, but Richard's um, you have a unique way of looking at things and um, and monetizing things, and what you're uh, being a part of and led is a hundred and eighty IPOs. Uh, it's a lot of IPOs. It's a lot. It's um. It's uh. Yeah. It's uh for layman's terms, an IPO is taking company, uh, company public. Yeah. So, right. so, so so banks work with with companies when they're ready to to raise money mm-hmm. uh, or to allow people to exit from the company. Now. Most banks will come and not listen very much to what anyone wants, raise as much money as they can, um, shake your hand, take their fee and move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had this really lucky position when I was working uh, in that I actually got to work with the owners of the business and ask them what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And if I felt the bank could do it, then we would go about and do it. But if we didn't feel we could do it, we would shake their hands and still be friends mm-hmm. and not get to the end and have an awkward conversation where even though a result was delivered, it wasn't what anyone really wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that, it was, and that was a pretty unique position yeah. in the banking industry. So I was a real generalist. Um, I never focus on a particular sector. Yeah. And so different problems every different day in different markets. Um, so yeah, it was, it was about really understanding what people wanted mm-hmm. and then making sure that worked from a banking perspective so that I could then go and sell that story yeah awesome and also uh co-founder of a music platform called phoenix which i'm going to butcher so i'm just going to throw to you and give you what give me the synopsis of of phoenix okay so so just before phoenix i, I moved back to australia sort of about six years ago and left the bank then it was the right time mm. uh, with the family to come back um and having worked as long as i had and as hard as i had in banking i sort of decided that I had the privilege for a while to to focus on projects that I really wanted to do um, and projects that were being done for the right reasons. And, and the first project I came across with a couple of partners of mine, um, Alan and Lance, one of who's in Israel and the other who is in New York, um, they had been looking at the music industry for a long time, mm-hmm. trying, to, trying to figure out how... Um, musicians were still getting screwed over by everybody um, and how we could redress that balance. Um, And they went after it a number of ways. um, And then Phoenix came around um, as cryptocurrencies were first coming 
um, to the fore. And the aim or the thinking was if we decentralized everything mm -hmm. and gave control back to musicians and artists in general, um, and then created direct access between them and their fans, then they could start to monetize um, the hard work they were doing. And you know, how they monetized it would be the way that they were currently earning a living, albeit not a very good one, mm -hmm. whether it's in the sale of merch or gigs mm -hmm. or whatever it was they were doing. Everyone was hustling and finding a way to live. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to make sure that all of the rewards and benefits for that mm -hmm. went to them. Mm -hmm. And so we built this Phoenix ecosystem and you know, we're sure we'll talk about disruption generally. Yeah. yeah and and how hard disruption is. Yeah, it's a great idea and it continues to manifest itself in a lot of different ways um, around the world. Um, but it all goes back to that simple question. If musicians are getting screwed and someone else is making a lot of money from them, how do we redress that and keep mm -hmm. that control back to them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome. Um, and also you're currently CEO of a nicotine-based uh, uh, vaporized product, which is in the media, in Australia. And again, we'll, we'll talk about it. It's, it's uh, in the forefront, uh, definitely, uh, currently, and coming in to, into this year. Yeah, so so the Australian um, the Australian government and the TGA, the regulators here, have been very, very brave um, in their approach to vaping um, and to e-cigarettes um, as a way to assist um, people wishing to quit smoking. Uh, and a new framework will come into play on the 1st of October uh, that will... Uh, bring e-cigarettes um, for people who want to quit smoking under medical supervision um, and distribute it through uh, domestic pharmacies. Uh, and we are I'm working with a company uh, now uh, in terms of being able to offer uh, a solution that um, allows a product that is designed to the standards expected of something in the medical chain which gives confidence in, in terms of the safety of the product. Mm -hmm. While we answer or look to answer the long-term questions that, that everyone has um, in the vaping space as to whether it's safe um, in the long-term and effective mm -hmm. uh, in helping people quit smoking. Yeah. And so the last, before you moved back to uh, Australia, you uh, spent 25 years bouncing around here, there, everywhere, um, which... Yeah, in itself is an adventure. Sounds like an adventure. Uh, maybe, probably not. And some of the times, um, how was it uh, compared to all the other countries that you've been in and worked with and from when you when you came back in a, to Australia six years ago? What what was that? What was that transition like? Um, and like Australians like to think we're the leaders of everything, right? And um, we had some, we had lots of conversations about this. I'm like, well, things move a little differently. So, what was your experiences there? So, so look, I spent 25 years in the banking um, and in the legal sectors, really doing some of the biggest deals um, in Asia and across mm. the world, um, and surrounded by professionals that were absolutely at the top of their game. Um, you know, resourced and targeted with meeting impossible deadlines in many cases. Um, but so just we, to, give, sorry, to give the listeners some reference, give, give us some of the size of these deals. Because I don't think people sometimes here in Australia realise some of the size of the deals that happen outside, outside our waters. Uh, so 
So some of the deals, uh, yeah, I've worked on many billion dollar deals mm. and so on. And, and you know, there'd be brands that people would recognize. Mm. So a lot of the gaming mm-hmm. um, stocks, so Sands Casino, mm. In Macau, Galaxy, um, a number of the Crown Ventures uh, in the Philippines and in Macau. Um, some retail brands, so L'Occitane, the French um, soap yeah. uh, provider. Um, Prada, the Italian fashion brand, I was fortunate enough to work on their deal in 2011. Um, and a lot of you know, less well-known brands, mm-hmm. but equally big power companies. Mm-hmm. Um, renewables, a lot in this renewable space um, in Indonesia, mm-hmm. uh, in the Philippines. So the privatization of the government's renewable energy arm, um, EDC, mm-hmm. a number of years ago. Um, TV stations, yeah. Mm. So a whole range of stuff. And, and you know, while probably not brands known by every Australian, yeah. certainly, you know, within their own markets, about as big as you can get. Yeah. Um, so these were big deals. And as I say, working to impossible deadlines. Now, you know, to move out of that environment into um, in, 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 into a normal working environment, working for corporates and around corporates at any time is a big leap. Yeah. Now, now I moved to Australia six years ago. Yeah. Um, and I moved for reasons that weren't professional. Yep. Um, and decided very quickly that I wasn't going to stay in the banking space and that I was going to start um, doing other things. And really what I wanted to do, I, I thought long and hard about this, was as I saw a lot of the companies coming up mm-hmm. um, and the fact that people had only ever lived in in good times, they, yeah, a, lot of the, a lot of the companies coming up had never been through a recession, mm-hmm. that the experience that I'd had globally of working through, through SARS, mm-hmm. through the tech bubble and the tech bubble's bursting, through both the global and the Asian financial crisis, mm-hmm. was understanding how things feel mm-hmm. as you come out of um, out of disasters and so on. And actually, all of that is incredibly pertinent yeah. uh, as we look to come out of COVID now. So, you know, I moved, you know, when I moved down here, I took time to take stock. I mm-hmm. started working with Phoenix um, and a couple of other projects. Um, but in answer to your questions as to pace, I think, you know, where you're moving in, in, in an environment where resourcing and funding is not an issue, mm-hmm. um, and out of that, I won't say everything ground to a halt, um, but the pace was certainly different. It felt like that. It felt like ground to a halt. In sure. comparative. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. In, in, in relative terms, you know, the life and the industry I was working in Asia, you could see 80 to 100 hour weeks. Yes. You could see 60 to 70 flights a year mm-hmm. um, in terms of being around the region. Mm-hmm. Um, to come to Australia uh, and to try and arrange a phone call um, and being booked in for that phone call in 10 days' time um, for a call that would be 10 or 15 minutes long in normal circumstances was an adjustment to get used to. And, and yeah, neither is better or worse. At the end of the day, the lifestyle balance in Australia is very different. Mm. Um, The speed at which deals get done here in general terms is slower. But that's not to say that when we need to put the pedal to the 
medal yeah. in Australia, we don't just smash through as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, have you found the current ventures um, in business you're part of? Has that been has that been frustrating? So that adjusting in terms of going, hey, look, this would be really easy if we met today, or because it's it's really important, or this could be done. This 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 negotiation could be done. Or is that is that frustrating when you're used to twenty five years of you know what, things on a lot a large scale? There's a lot more weight on the line, yeah. um, and it's done quicker. So so I've I, I I've never given value to size. Yeah. To me, a million dollar deal is the same as mm-hmm. a billion dollar deal in terms of what needs to get mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. So so that's been easy. Uh, I mean, look, let's be frank. Eh? The way everyone's doing business everywhere in the world has been different over the last year. Um, sure. You know, from that perspective, and you know, there's good and bad around it. Um, I was discussing with a colleague the other day, yeah, how best to approach returning to work uh, for his company because people are used to working from home don't really want to come back to the office. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, as we said, let's be frank, it's not because they're afraid; they're just quite comfortable, um, yeah, working four hour days. Um, and taking 10 hours to do it. Um, yeah, right. You know, um, but being able to do that, you know, as and when they want. Um, you know, but the, you know, the beauty I have, you know, for example, my team right now is in Brisbane, the Gold Coast, Melbourne, and Sydney. Mm-hmm. My team on Phoenix is in Israel, Slovenia, sorry, Slovakia, <laughs> um, New York, and here. Um, yeah, and that's not something would have been yeah, the, norm, right? the normal a year, year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do think we have generally forgotten how good it is to get business done face to face. I sat down with uh, with someone today and they said it was their first meeting, yeah, face to face with a client in a year. Um, yeah, and that was an amazing thing. But you know what? It's infinitely better than Zoom mm. or in almost all circumstances. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. Where do you think, uh, as a whole, society, business society is going with that? Mm. Uh, and I ask that because it's hard. Um, I am a fan of face-to-face. Mm. I'm a fan of delivery of face-to-face, of, of, our, of our product, um, of coaching. It's so much easier to coach someone face-to-face um, than over a screen. But also, it's in, it's um it's easier to win the business, as opposed to have a conversation, take them to lunch, and you pitch them, and it's you can get it across, but you can actually get that feel. Go, actually, I'm not sure if I actually want to work with you, and take to tune down your pitch. Where do you think this is going? Because I found probably in the last two months, three months, where things are really somewhat coming online, trying to get meetings, right, and people are like, oh. You can do it on Zoom. Like, oh, I don't really want to. I, I don't think. Um, <coughs> I don't think it's going to work. But where? Where? What's your take? Yeah. So, um, I, <coughs> me. I actually did a panel here a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to stir things up in terms of how people are doing things online. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I had a five-man panel. Thirty-five people come on it to talk exactly about what the new normal was and how life after COVID looked and, mm. and, and, and so on. Because you know, <coughs> to me, the most important part of a meeting is the two-minute walk into the meeting and two-minute walk out. When you actually get to feel, when you're not pitching someone, yeah. whether you look, when you're looking them in the eye, whether you like them or not. 
times. Um, and you know, I've always felt that business is not about the names of the brands, it's simply about the people that you work with. And if you find somebody you like to work with, it doesn't really matter, mm -hmm. provided the infrastructure is there, um, what that brand is. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know the answer. Um, I think it stops a lot of wasted time um, yeah. in terms of being able to do a Zoom call for people in five different places. I'm not sitting in the car for hours. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the amount of travel that we did, I think, um, I'm, I'm thinking a lot here. Yeah, yeah, that, of course, yeah. <laughs> but where we have, yeah, where you have 10 or 15 years of good times, mm. things get bloated. Mm. And I think that's exactly what had happened in most companies in most economies, really, um, because there was absolutely no reason for us to be traveling as much as we were and doing as many meetings and, you know, and all the things and having as much staff as we did. Or, yeah. Of course. Um, yeah, I think I've always been a fan of running lean. Uh, my view always is if the costs are down and the profits um, that we have to share among everyone are more. Yeah, uh, definitely. And at the end of the day, you know, Vanity expenditures should be avoided whenever we can. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't think we will revert yeah. for a long time to, to that bloat, bloated mm. state of how business was being run. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, as I, I said very early on, I was talking to people during the start of COVID, I said, if nothing else, it gave us the opportunity to step back from the grindstone mm -hmm. um, and look back and say, ah, what are we doing? Yeah, um, and that was always an important part of an IPO. It's the first thing we did was sit down with the owners and say, "What actually is your business?" And through that process, they would they would sit and realize that actually what they started out to do and where they were today was completely different. But they hadn't sat and thought about it for seven or eight years. Absolutely, and, and you know the the challenge I always had was being able to understand businesses and explain them simply and. It's interesting how few owners are able to explain their business simply because they've just forgotten. You know, they're, they're so focused on the day to day. Yeah, they forget what their actual business yeah, is. Yeah, why they're in existence, yeah. right? Um, that's interesting. What do you think the the role of relationship building, right, has that that value uh, of that uh, has is or has decreased and what's your hypothesis and where is it going in terms of, is it going to increase back to what it was like that that face-to-face -face, you know what you can you've got uh you're gonna have a client for life i know this is you go you know what you get that person to feel something that's great make them feel like they're royalty great and now that that relationship is is it not necessarily impossible it's a lot harder um, to build in a virtual space, yeah, um, and it's come back to just numbers and fact and no, no, no emotion, right? And uh, someone was telling me this morning, he goes, "Yeah, Janish, but fact has no feeling." And I go, "I get that, but we're, we're humans, and we like to think we make just a non-emotive position, but the reality is that we don't. We don't do that." So, so, so here's what I think. I, I think the magic at the moment is that ninety percent of the people don't want to meet face and they're not making the effort to do that mm. which means that we really have the opportunity to build those relationships where not everyone else is mm. um, and so <laughs> I, host, I, I, 
I hosted the first ever event where we are now. Yeah. After the Martin, lockdown happened. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was before anyone was here. Um, but it was just a case of everyone is sick of another Zoom call. As you know, the attention spans are falling, mm-hmm. attendance is falling. You can see people putting, switching their video off so they can go and play Candy Crush or whatever it is they do. Um, yeah, and so at every opportunity I get, mm-hmm. I will sit face to face with someone mm-hmm. just to look them in the eye yeah. and just say, look, I get what you're going through. I get what you need to deliver. I'm telling you, we will deliver that for you. Or we won't deliver that for you. Um, but, you know, it's not about the bit on paper. Um, and, you know, if I go back to our banking days, we were, in relative terms, a small bank. If I asked an Australian if they knew who we were, no one would know who we were. But the simple fact of the matter was, we moved more Asian equities than anyone. Goldman Sachs or Macquarie or Deutsche or Credit Suisse and the reason for that was because we put our most senior people into the transactions didn't farm it out to juniors and so we sat principal to principal with the owners of the business we owned that relationship at the end of the deal and from there on in so they would come to us to solve things and then they would bring in the bigger names later on if they needed to relationship was already found and you know if you build those relationships then and you do it now because no one else is doing it mm-hmm. it's easy pickings and, and you know the rewards i think yeah that's what it's all about that's where you get the extra bit. yeah and so um good good segue we didn't even plan that segue in terms of that just do you see that as an as a opportunity currently to to disrupt that comfortability that people like you know what I don't really want to win. I don't. It's not that as you said they're not that risky. They're just it's comfortable. It's like wow, uh, you talk to people like oh, you back in the office like oh I'm back in one day or half day. Go why? Um, and you're you're a fan of uh, disruption. I think the things you've been a part of definitely in the last six years what what you and I have spoken about um, to to even small small things that we haven't even talked about like you've got you've got your you got your eyes in multiple fonts right and you got a lot going on and they're all not oh yep this bandwagon's going this way it's like no no hold on hold on we can shake this up right now and there's no one's even thinking about this at the moment um so talk to us about that yeah so it's interesting i've i've always loved underdog stories yeah i like people going up against the incumbents because it's right. Um, and uh, we were speaking earlier, there are, there are thousands of disruptions that should happen, mm. but very few of them actually do. Uh-huh. Um, and I was thinking, I don't know, I was, I was, why do you think that is? So, so disruption's really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah, in most cases, you've got a big dinosaur yeah. uh, who's going to do everything in their power to stop you doing it. Yeah. You find rare circumstances where they aren't, mm-hmm. where they're precluded from doing it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. There is a regulatory reason and so on. But even so, they've proven a model out. So everyone knows what works in that market. Mm-hmm. And you're small. So you're asking people to trust you as a big guy when you're a little guy. And of course, most little guys never get to be big guys. Mm-hmm. You know, so not only are we 
are you pushing against all of these pressures in, in, in terms of people trying to stop the disruption happening because they're doing just fine, thank you. But you're also, a lot of these, a lot of these companies, these, these disruptive opportunities, haven't succeeded because they never will. The, not everybody and not every great idea, as we know, comes to fruition. Um, and you, know, I, you constantly hear entrepreneurs saying, it's a great idea, I'm sold on the idea, but I'm not sold on the execution. And of course, now that I've taken my first ever corporate role after 50 years, um, even though I've executed a bunch of things over my working career, the nitty-gritty of of executing a bootstrap venture with limited resources, limited manpower, and so on, it's hard. And it's hard in a in a blank landscape. Mm-hmm. But in a landscape where people are established, people are hungry to, to deliver that, it just gets harder and harder. Um, and yeah, maybe I'm foolish in attempting to disrupt in such a major way. Uh, and actually, if you look at the disruptors, they may start small, mm. but they're really not small for very long. No. Yeah, if I look at Spotify in the music space, yeah. they were raising money at a valuation of $4 billion mm. before they even had a license. Yeah. Uh, you know, so while they were small, mm-hmm. their backing behind them was massive. Mm. Uh, and even with all of the support they had and raising money, you know, at valuations of four up to eleven, mm-hmm. then raising you know debt and then doing their you know their offering, mm-hmm. every step of the way was a struggle for them, and they didn't make money all the yeah. way uh, yeah. along the way they got there. Um, but now they've reached that incumbent status. Yeah, no longer the disruptor. And yeah, that's a great and probably the subject of a whole other yeah, uh, one, of, one of these is when you go from being the disruptor to the incumbent yeah. and who transitions well. Yeah. Because, because you see these people come up yep. and it's never often them no. you see at the top but the people who come up behind Yeah. So we were saying that um, there's plenty of there's plenty of opportunity to disrupt. There's a lot of areas that people can disrupt. Um, and it's hard. What um, what would you say to, to to listeners to people to go? You know what? What gets them through that hard stuff? You've been through a lot of disruptions, and you've you've led disruptions. Yeah. So so like, what gets them through? That hard stage, yeah. you know, it's just an idea. And and, and look, I'm I'm not going to say I've, <laughs> I've led disruptions to you know to completion on many occasions, but 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 to me, it's always about stepping back mm-hmm. and looking at the bigger picture, yeah. understanding your stakeholders, mm-hmm. and making sure that your solution from the outset works for all of them. Because if it fails for one, that will bring the whole thing tumbling down. Mm-hmm. So. If I take Spotify's example, yeah, they didn't get their license, mm-hmm. so they then had to go to the labels, having raised their money, and say, "Give me a license." And the labels say, "Well, you're worth all this money. Mm-hmm. This is going to be really expensive." 
Yeah. They didn't look after the advertisers in the old days. You know, there were lots of things that they didn't do in terms of mapping out their stakeholders. And almost everything that, yeah, it's, if you get all of those things right from the outset, mm -hmm. then you have a chance. And once you have all those things right, then it's just planning and execution, little by little. Mm -hmm. Set a milestone, deliver. Set the next milestone, deliver. And the other thing, of course, is having absolute clarity mm -hmm. as to what you've done yep. and what you're going to do. Because the amount of times I've heard people say what they're going to do and got the credit for it when they said they're going to do it. And then in nine months' time when they deliver it and they're all excited, yeah. people say, well, I gave you credit for that nine months ago. I'm really not excited about that. And it looks to me like you haven't done anything in nine months because that's what you told me you were going to deliver and it's taken this long to do it. So yeah. always under promise, over deliver. Yeah. Um, and hold it back. Hold it back. Yep. Yeah. And just keep giving people little bits of momentum to say, I'm going to deliver this. And here it is. Now I'm going to deliver something more. And you build momentum mm. as opposed to building disappointment. Mm. I like that. Building momentum as opposed to building disappointment. What do you think the, uh, what is the value of disruption? Well, I think much like COVID in the economy, as we spoke about earlier, yeah. is, is things get bloated, incumbents get bloated. Um, and disruption is that reality check. It's like stopping and taking stock. Mm. You, know, you, you have to do it every time. If you don't, you just detract further mm -hmm. from where you are um, or where you aim to be in the first place. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think of it like a piece of cheese, uh, you know, right at the beginning, well, you know, uh, the difference between where you, where you are and where you aim to be is very small. But over time, that expands, yeah. and it's very, very hard to pull it back. So, you know, disruption keeps pulling it back, mm -hmm. so you stay close to that path. It's a lot of tiny steps away, mm -hmm. as opposed to going completely tangentially yep. off somewhere, and then having to make needing that massive disruption. Because disruption says this is working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something's gone so far wrong. Yeah. We've got to break it all down and do something. Yeah. Do you think disruption um, as a whole is inevitable? It'll happen if someone doesn't, then someone else will. Eventually. Yeah, yeah, and you hope so. That disruption and innovation are one and the same. Yeah, yeah right? which is which is just saying, yeah, there's a better way of doing this. Yep. I mean, yeah, if we made everything perfect, yeah, you know, <laughs> no one's thinking. Like yeah, that, you know? right. It's not being so. We yeah, I agree. We we evolve, right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's. Things aren't made to may be lifetime, right? It's uh, it's got it's got a shelf life, and something's gonna. Um, how would you say? Uh, or is it possible, or to, for a an industry or a company to avoid disruption by constantly? Is it constantly evolving, and is anyone currently, do you think, doing that well? Oh, well, that's that. that. That's a question I'm not going to answer. In terms of who, who's there, well, look, yeah, the challenge is always about innovation. Anyone who's mm. been at the top for a very long time um, has to move quick. Right? Has to have, yeah, have have kept to speed. You know, yeah. What what you find, and you know, the internet space is no different to any of the others. Yeah. Is that innovation happens in a lot of places, then it consolidates, mm -hmm. and you end up with five or six people owning 
the world. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened here. Yeah. And it's exactly what you, you see in most industries. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then, you know, every now and then you, you, know, you see a new guy come in with something completely out of left field, whether it was Tesla or Spotify mm. or whatever it was. Mm. You know, these were, you know, Uber. These were mm. the disruptors. Um, yeah, and great to them. And then mm. they grow big and then the next one. Yeah, definitely. Come in and so forth. But those that are sat at the top, and remember, it's your position to lose if you sit around. You are the one who's funded, you're the one who's making all the money, you've got yeah. the market share. It's yours to lose. Yeah. Um, and it happens. Mm. Yeah. yeah, right? Yeah. It's not, nothing stunning forever. Correct. Necessarily, right? Um, awesome. Um, Richard, we're going to kind of wrap up. And what, what is something you can leave our listeners? Uh, Ponder to you go look is pretty important in terms of well we, we did we did we went over a bunch of topics today right from uh culture norms to, to disruption to um to relationships changing and the value of relationships changing so yeah so knowing that where we're coming from and coming out of COVID coming out of this pandemic things coming back online um what, what's something you can leave our listeners to ponder on uh, to wrap up with yeah, great question and uh, always good to be put on the spot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think what COVID has given everyone or should have given everyone the opportunity to do, as I say, is to step back and take stock mm. and say, am I doing what I want to do? How can I make it better? Am I lean enough? Yeah. You know, where's the fat? How do I make this more efficient? How do I get back yeah. to what I started to do? And COVID has forced it on everyone, mm-hmm. but it's something that everybody should do regularly and i guess it's not a, oh no yeah. take stock right take stock and you take stock on everything mm. yeah not 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 just from a business perspective yeah. but you know we we absolutely have to do it yeah. and we never do because yes. we're comfortable and i'm i'm yeah i'm as much a sinner in this as everyone else yeah but we're comfortable in what we um you know what we're used to doing and you do the day-to-day you wake up you don't think about it you get through it you go home, you have a sigh, you have dinner, watch TV, you go to bed, do it all again. Mm-hmm. If you stop and take stock and say, you know what? I probably lost two weeks here doing stupid stuff. Yeah. Let's go and do it better. Um, yeah, let, let, let's reset, do something again. And it's it doesn't it's not monumental. Mm-hmm. In most cases, it's a tiny adjustment. Yeah. Uh, or a number of tiny adjustments. Mm-hmm. But get that right, um, it'll make a difference to everything you do. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank you, Richard. Um, so thanks for um, joining us on the show. Uh, you're, uh, you have a wealth of knowledge um, and experience and um, yeah, just to share with the listeners that you are a person, I think from the get-go, from meeting you, from not, well, not really knowing you to getting to, you, getting to know you better, you're always willing to help. You're always willing to go... Uh, we talked about people answering their phones before, right? Like you will answer the phone all the time. You respond to emails, respond to a text, um, which is awesome. Uh, I think I was uh, I was saying this to someone uh, today as well that I've gone. There's all these things people can do. But at the end of the day, like what, why, why I'm attracted to people is like they're a good human, right? So thank you for and uh, thanks. I can I can call you a friend. So thank you for that. Absolute pleasure. And, um, and thanks for having. Me. Yeah. So I know one final thing, Richard, and we'll put it in the show notes is uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Uh, so probably the best is my, uh, I have a 
a website called Panorama Advisory. Awesome. Um, so we'll go from there. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put it in the show, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. But yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All good. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Lifelong Learner. If you liked our episode and what you heard, please leave us a review on uh, the platform that you've been listening on. And to find out more about us, please tune in to lifelonglearnerpodcast.com and you can find out some updates about what's happening and get updates on as episodes drop. Thanks again.